You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Young Investors Podcast. How are you going, Hamish? I'm doing How's well. How's things down in Melbourne? Yeah, things, all right? things are going well. We're uh, a little bit earlier this week. We had to kind of move a couple of things around. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we're recording a little bit earlier, but also later in the day. So we'll, we'll do our best to, to stay <laughs> as chirpy as we are normally in the morning when we record it. This is going to be the sleepy podcast. It is currently 4.43 p.m. Yeah. (laughs) That that is such a rubbish time to record a podcast. Yeah. So, so not only are we going to be tired by the end of this podcast, we're going to be hungry as well. So, uh, we'll we'll see how the end of this goes. I might just start getting angry about whatever story we're talking about. (laughs) Do you get hangry? Do you get hangry often? Oh, yeah. Doesn't everybody? Yeah. I think everybody does. Yeah, I at least. think so. Just- I get I get so hangry, man. If I'm hungry, just don't even talk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know exactly. Talk to right. me if you got like a burrito or something, but if you don't, <laughs> then stay away. Oh gosh, oh, um, but uh, even yeah, even though it's late in the afternoon, we still should have a a pretty good show for this week. Yes. Uh, we got some things to talk about. Elon Musk is just setting the world on fire oh, as boy. per usual. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> there's there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, we've got more details on Rivian's IPO, and you've got a story about AMC, so the movie theater. be interesting to hear how they're going. And uh, mm. Apple, the Apple versus Epic Games controversy continues, I guess. Mm. And I, I hope that we'll get a chance to go through some Q&A. We've got some good Q&A questions to get through. I, I pre-screened a few of them this week, and some of them are really quite good. So, Lovely. hopefully, we get a chance to... Um, to do some to to do some questions at the end as well, but um, we'll see how we go. Should we get stuck into it? Yeah, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application that you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So basically, basically, you can bring in all of your trades either automatically or you can enter them manually, and uh, it will allow you to track all of the different types of gains that your portfolio experiences. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Uh, currency gains. If you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. That one is super important, especially if you're someone like us who invests overseas into the American mm-hmm. markets. Um, yep. You need to make sure that you're tracking the uh, the difference between those two currencies as it can have a dramatic impact on your actual return. And then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So, ShareSite generates up to 10, uh, up to 12 now different reports that can be used at tax time uh, to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That site spelled S I G H T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Use that link, sign up to a free plan and try it for as long as you want. Uh, but you can also use that link to sign up to a paid plan and get four months off a yearly subscription, four months free on a yearly subscription. So, uh, go check it out if you're interested. One other thing I thought we should probably mention um, just up front was uh, if anyone didn't see, uh, we did a live stream 
on what when did we do it? It was Sunday last week, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Sunday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. That was great. What a good time that was. I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. So uh what was it? It was investing with Tom and a bunch of other a bunch of us um that have teamed up for Movember to raise funds for men's mental health and suicide prevention. Uh we did a live stream last Sunday, which is now a week ago now that you're hearing this. Um, but I thought I'd mention in case you hadn't seen it, um, there should be another live stream, I think, tomorrow from when this comes out. Um, we won't be on that one, but uh, some of the other members of the team will be, and then there'll be more live streams that we do throughout the month. So, um, mm. we'll leave the links to donate. If you can support then we would very much appreciate it. If you could uh, donate to our team, Margin of Shafety uh, is, the, uh, <laughs> is the team name. So, we'll leave the links um, on the YouTube version uh, if you want to or can donate. Um, would really appreciate that. Thought I just mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I got an interesting story today, just off the top of my head. Mm. I went to... Uh, do you guys have Costco in Melbourne? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We oh, have a couple. Do. Okay. Well, I think we've got one in Canberra. Um, it's out near the airport. And uh, I think I went there once like a long time ago. But I just... I, I don't go there because I don't have the membership card or anything. But mm. um, my friend is... Uh, he shops over at Costco. So, I decided just to go with him. And it was actually so much fun just walking <laughs> through Costco. I was so surprised. I thought they literally just sold um, just bulk uh, food items like kind of like a, a supermarket but they had so they had like iPhones in there they had refrigerators oh, yeah. they had um, like <laughs> you could buy a, a washer and a dryer and they had a flipping restaurant we got the, like this massive massive pizza oh, for like 15 the, bucks yeah how, how good is the pizza it's like yeah it's 15 dollars and it's just a gigantic pizza and I swear you I swear you can't buy pizza like that in Australia whereas I feel like no. in the US that's kind of the norm of like a you know a large would just be a massive pizza it was um, huge so yeah and you get these massive like sushi platters and oh, all kinds yeah. of stuff there. Yeah, Costco's great. It's just a fun kind of experience, I think. It's just so different to every yeah. other shopping experience, which kind of why people are so attracted to it. Yeah, so you know you know Costco as the place that does bulk things. But man, I tell you, when you see some of those bulk items, <laughs> you're like, holy moly. Like we're walking through the alcohol section. They have like the six liter yeah. bottles of vodka. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. But like, yeah, like what you were saying, the massive things, 48 piece sushi platters and like salad things are just also, it's just so like the massive packs of donuts and danishes. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, to be honest, like I kind of thought, no wonder it like, like Australia and the United States are like statistically very, very fat <laughs> if places like Costco exist because, man, there was a lot of bloody food in that Costco. But, man, it was cool. I had a lot of fun, actually. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um, I feel like- I've got to go look into Costco now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I would get a membership and, and, and shop there more frequently if there was kind of one a little bit closer to me. There's one not too far. It's probably like 20 or 25 minutes away, but even still- um, um, kind of having the convenience of a of a supermarket like really close to your house, I think is is uh, really it still important. wins, doesn't it? So yeah. yeah, but it's also like you're you're the wrong demographic. Like I, I don't mean, think yeah. Costco's targeting you. They're targeting like family, big family. Like you just live there in in your apartment. You know, <laughs> <laughs> how are you two bedroom apartments? Like how much how much food do you eat? It's, you don't really need all that much stuff, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't eat all that much. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, that was my fun little adventure to Costco. Um, what should we uh, What should we talk we, about? We first? have to talk about this Elon Musk story first. 
first because um okay yeah this is it has been uh, talk of the town hasn't it oh yeah oh yeah um so if you've been living under a rock (laughs) (laughs) i will explain what has happened um pretty much elon guess what he's been tweeting again (laughs) surprise surprise and he was uh, yeah (laughs) mind-blowing isn't it elon musk tweets something no he's um this is on november the 7th he put up this so what was that sunday um, he he tweeted out. Uh, this is this is what it said. It says, "Much is made lately of unrealized gains being a means of tax avoidance. So I propose selling ten percent of my Tesla stock. Do you support this?" And there was obviously a poll, yes or no. And then in a in a I don't know sub comment on the thread, he said, mm. "I will abide by the results of this poll, whichever way it goes." And the poll finished and 57.9% of respondents said yes and 42.1% said no. So, <laughs> if he goes by, uh, if he if he holds to his word, hold, holds true to his word, then he will be uh, selling 10% of his Tesla stock. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Which is, yeah, pretty, pretty bonkers. And guess, uh, did you see what happened to Tesla stock today? Yeah, I did. I, I saw... So, there was two days, right, that in between that, that have happened for us so far in between the poll. So, the first yeah. one, I think, was relatively moderate. It was like 4 or 5%, I think, Four, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then, that's right. And yeah. And then what happened last night? Last night was a lot bigger, but I didn't see it. 12%. <sighs> 12. Wow. Boom. Actually, the most important thing here is, Brandon, how did you vote in the poll? <laughs> I voted no. I <laughs> did too. <laughs> Sorry? I did too. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It should I mean, of course, people are going to jump on him, say yes, you should be selling. But I mean, I don't think he needs to. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not of the opinion that people should be taxed on unrealized gains. Yeah, um, I mean, that makes perfect I, I sense. Just, especially, I just don't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to something like Tesla, where you could argue that a lot of that unrealized gain is maybe. And, you know, if a lot of that unrealized gain went away, it wouldn't be overly surprising, I think, for something like Tesla. So, taxing unrealized gains on stocks that, you know, often don't reflect, you know, the, the value of their, those businesses now, um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, I don't think. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know. He, he can do whatever he wants. I just don't think... I, I said no simply because, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think he should be I don't know. I didn't want. I didn't want to contribute to him being forced to do something he didn't want to do. But I guess. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's putting it out there. So, but it also yeah. didn't. It didn't surprise me that the majority said yes as well. I guess nah, at the same time. No, nah, that didn't surprise me at all. It's just such an easy. If if you don't really understand it, it's such an easy train to get on. Yes, we should be taxing all those billionaires with you know heaps of stock holdings. Yes, we should tax them in any way we can. Um, but you know, when you understand it a little bit deeper, you, then most people come to the conclusion that actually it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, mm. But anyway, so I checked. I was watching uh, the insider trading, and there's not showing. I couldn't find anything. There's no sale as of yet. Um, mm. I imagine you know we'll see that in the next little while. I don't think. Obviously, I don't think he's going to dump ten percent of his Tesla stock <laughs> at once. I think he's going to do that slowly. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> I, think, I think Tesla stock would go down a lot if he just dumped. Oh. Imagine if he just puts in a he just puts in a sell order. Twenty five like, billion dollars worth of stock. However, yeah. Oh. However many billions of dollars. Oh worth my god. Of- <laughs> Jeez, that would be nasty. He just does an at market um, order. <laughs> <laughs> the stock would actually go to zero, I think, if he did that. 
That would make me cry. I would actually cry. Uh, and Tesla's geez. gone. <laughs> yeah, see you later. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so, yes, no, no sales as of yet. Um, but this is what, and this is kind of the conclusion I came to from what I was reading, and I, I think this is definitely true. Um, I don't actually think this sale of his Tesla stock has anything to do with Elon's opinion on unrealized gains and tax avoidance. Mm, <laughs> sneaky, do, sneaky Elon. Yeah, I <laughs> do not think that he cares whatsoever. I think that that is a kind of good PR social justice kind of way to mm. spin you selling 10% of your Tesla stock. Mm. Um, but I don't believe he actually cares about that. Uh, I think he yeah. just wants to sell 10% of his Tesla shares while the price is extremely high. Um, and I will now describe why I think that. <laughs> so, this is from a CNBC article. CNBC notes, uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk faces a tax bill of more than $15 billion in the coming months on stock options, making a sale of his Tesla stock this year likely, regardless, uh, yeah, making the sale of Tesla stock this year likely, regardless of the Twitter vote. Mm. Musk was awarded options in 2012 as a part of a compensation plan. Because he doesn't take a salary or cash bonus, his wealth comes from stock awards and he uh, and the gains in Tesla's share price. The 2012 award was for 22.8 million shares at a strike price of $6.24 <laughs> per share. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, Tesla shares closed at $1,222.09 on Friday. Well, they're not there anymore, but we'll run with it. Uh, meaning that the gain on his shares totals just under $28 billion. Wow. Says the op- yeah, this is quite ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, the options expire in August of next year, yet in order to exercise them, uh, Musk has to pay the income tax on the gain. Since mm. the options are taxed as an employee benefit or compensation, they will be taxed at top ordinary income levels or 37% plus the 3.8% net investment tax. He'll also have to pay the 13.3% top tax rate in California (laughs) since the options were granted and mostly earned while he was a California tax resident. Combined, the state and federal tax rate will be 54.1%. That's just insane. That is insane, isn't it? That is bonkers. So, the total tax bill and his options at the current price, again, this is a couple of days ago before this drop, uh, would be $15 billion. Right. So, in other words, he has to- basically sell some of his stock in order to cover the tax bill for compensation yes. that's that hasn't kind of um, vested yet, I guess. That was from 2012 that is now kind of expiring. So, he has to exactly. execute them. Yeah, exactly. Um, for those that don't know, Elon Musk is extremely cash poor. He actually, uh, I think his brother asked him for a loan and Elon had to turn his brother down because he didn't have the cash. He, he is the wealthiest mm. person on the planet, but it's all tied up in Tesla stock, in SpaceX stock, um, of which if he wants to access all that cash, he has to sell. And obviously, if he gets a big fat tax bill, he will have to sell some of his stock to be able to uh, pay that off. But you might be wondering, well, hang on, didn't you just say that the options expire in August next year? Can't he kind of just delay it? Because I think America's tax year ends in December, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Yep. Yep. Um, so, but this is another point, and this is what people are talking about now. Why would he sell now? It says the current top tax rate on long-term capital gains is 23.8%, but Congress is poised to vote in the next few weeks on adding 8% surtax on income above $25 million starting in January. Uh, okay. Um, so, the potential for a surtax gives Mr. Musk and others who are considering whether to exercise options or sell appreciated assets an incentive to do so now. Right. The tax difference between triggering roughly $23 billion of compensation this year as opposed to next year could be nearly $2 billion. Whoa. Yeah. Makes makes sense yeah. to do it now then. I wonder if that will kind sense. of incentivize anyone else who has a lot of stock that they want to get rid of to just do it now <laughs> and, yeah. and kind of avoid that that extra 8% income tax above- uh, I'd imagine so. But- yeah, that's um, yeah, very interesting. Because I mean, of course, Musk lives in California, which I, I believe is the highest has the highest state tax, um, particularly for extremely wealthy people. So yeah, fifty four percent. Technically, he's moved to Texas. But oh, that's yeah, right. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. But felt like all of this when he when he earned these kind of options, he was in California. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it kind of makes sense that there was a more I don't know tax accountant reason behind <laughs> why he was going to yeah. do that rather than just a Twitter poll did seem a little uh, erratic uh, at the time, I think. But yeah, that ex- <laughs> yeah. that explanation makes a, a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. But then, I mean, it, for those that kind of don't read it into this sort of depth, then it still, it makes Elon Musk seem like uh, it gives him a good look, you know. I don't know. I just asked Tesla, I just asked people on Twitter whether I should do yeah. it. They said yes. So, I went ahead and did it, you know. <laughs> but in actual in actual fact, he was probably going to do it anyway because he had a bucket load of tax that he needed to pay. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is going through and just going onto that poll and just looking at the comments below it are just so funny. Like some of the comments are just, yeah, but just pay your tax. Like completely goes over their head the fact of how unrealized gains work and the fact that he does pay tax. He just has a very, well, he doesn't have any salary. Um, So, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny going through some of those comments, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, I guess you'll probably have to, I mean, of course, you'll have to spread this, this sale over an extremely long period of time, but it's a, yeah, that's a big sale of stock. It's a big um, chunk. He owns 20, 22, 23% of Tesla. So, yeah, you would, I think mm. uh, Tesla's divided up into about a billion shares. Yeah. Yeah. You would Yeah, I think a bit is a billion, right? Because they Yeah, because the market cap is a trillion when the share price is 1000. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Very interesting. Hey, I've got one more little thing to add on to this story, Mm. which is uh, actually causing a bit of controversy. Mm. You know, listen to this. Kimball Musk, Elon's brother, Mm. sold a lot of his Tesla shares before the (laughs) poll went up. Insider trading. Insider trading. Did you see this? No, I didn't actually. That's crazy. Yeah. It says here, Kimball Musk made nearly $110 million by exercising oh Tesla God. stock options right before his brother Elon spent the weekend asking Twitter users whether he should sell a big chunk of his stake in the EV company. 
This is why insiders mm. have to be so careful because even if that isn't insider trading, even if let's just say it's a coincidence, he didn't even speak to yeah. Elon. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Even if that's the case, it looks really bad. It does look bad, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. It says, according to a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, Kimball Musk, who serves on Tesla's board of directors, exercised his options uh, f- option Friday to buy 25,000 Tesla shares at $74.17 a piece. He immediately sold those shares along with 63,500 others in tranches ranging from $1,223 a share to $1,236 a share to make uh, uh, to make about $108.8 million, according to the filings with the SEC that was made public Monday afternoon. And for context, so between $1,223 and $1,236, and Tesla's stock price currently... Is $1,023. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what's going on if there's any uh, any funny business. But to be honest, I, I it could be a total coincidence because Kimball Musk does sell quite quite frequently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I was I mentioned um, I, I think we, we spoke about it maybe last year how I think the Pfizer CEO or one of the Pfizer executives sold a lot of or, or per- purchased a lot of stock just before um, one of the announcements of one of their trials and the stock shot up like days after that happened. And um, uh, what happened in that specific situation was um, what a lot of executives do is they put in their trades many months in advance and they use a third party team to make those trades for them so that right. if there is a weird coincidence like there was in that case, it was just a coincidence that he was scheduled to buy a bunch of stock execute some of his options or whatever it was and then the stock shot up um so when there is a coincidence like that they can say hey i already scheduled this in months in advance there's no insider trading going on so um there might be something like that happening with this um but uh yeah i don't know We'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see but you would imagine i mean you would imagine tesla stock for those who like to speculate on the short term um you'd have to imagine it's going to be a tough it's going to be tough over the next few months. I mean, I don't, I don't know what yeah. Tesla's volume is normally like, like how many shares go back and forth, but yeah, um, 25, $20 billion worth of, worth of shares being added to the sell side, you would have to imagine is significant. Plus, um, you know, if, if more people are selling speculatively based on that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess if, uh, if I was forced to make a bet about what the stock's going to do, you would think it would be negative, but um, I guess no one really knows in the end. We'll, mm. we'll have to see. But daily daily volume is around like a hundred, kind of between a hundred million and and two hundred million shares. Right. Okay. So you know, yeah, quite a significant amount. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, there'd be a, there'd definitely be a right way and a wrong way to sell ten percent of his stake. <laughs> so I just hope he does it the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So that that's uh, that's kind of the the story behind uh, Elon Musk's week. Cheese. I can't say I like him uh, <laughs> as a Tesla shareholder. I can't say I like him saying these things on Twitter that can influence the stock price. It's pretty brutal. Like I'm I'm still obviously up by a lot, but um imagine if you bought Tesla stock like last week. You'd be crying right now. You're already down like twenty percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy, 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 then, crazy. Yeah. If you bought last week, an argument could be made that you maybe had it coming to you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
anyway, that's that's enough about Elon Musk. Uh, tell tell me, what have you been looking at? What have you been researching this yeah, week? Yeah, where should we we should go? Maybe we can talk. There's a bit of an update around Apple and uh, its court battle with uh, Epic Games. So a, a few months ago, earlier in the year, um, Apple was in a, in a court battle with uh, Epic Games over the whole. Uh, the whole Fortnite fiasco, um, basically That's the right. uh, Epic Games changed some of the code in their Fortnite app that allowed people to bypass the 30% commission um, going through in-app purchases, which is, of course, against Apple's um, terms and conditions for developers. They then banned Epic Games or they banned Fortnite. And then I think later they banned the rest of Epic Games um, apps and uh, essentially starting a court battle um, about whether Apple was able to do that. And then a bunch of other things as well. There was 10 different counts that they ended up um, battling over. Uh, and there was only uh, one count that Epic Games actually won, um, which actually forced Apple to allow developers to link to alternative payment websites. So, um, you know, Fortnite wasn't able to actually allow people to pay a different way in the app, but they could link, they could provide a link to say the Fortnite website and you could just pay there so that you could avoid the fee. Um, that was the right. one count in which uh, in which Epic Games beat Apple. Um, so the news this week uh, was that Apple was appealing for a stay, which would delay the changes. So um, the changes were said to go through in December, which is, you know, coming up. Apple wasn't necessarily appealing um, the change. They just wanted it to be um, paused until all of the appeals for the entire case had been settled. Um, so, as I mentioned, Apple won nine out of the 10 counts. So, Epic Games is actually challenging and appealing a lot of um, those nine counts. And Apple is kind of saying, hey, well, while you're busy, you know, making us go back to court and, and fight these, we shouldn't have to make the changes. Um, so, this week, they they tried to get that done and uh, the courts were having none of it. They denied it. They <laughs> said that, no, you can make the change in December. Um, so, they're forcing them to make the change, you know, as, as scheduled. And um, then the, the other kind of things that are being debated will kind of continue on over the next couple of years because these court battles go on forever. They go on for years. So, uh, you know, if there are appeals back and forth, I mean, even if Epic just makes, you know, two or three appeals in a row, um, that could be a couple of years that some of these, are, some of these counts are going to go for. So... Uh, yeah, Apple unfortunately lost that. The, the courts were pretty brutal in, in, in not agreeing with Apple. They said that uh, Apple's motion is fundamentally flawed. So, <laughs> oh, I guess it was... That's, that's probably not what you want to hear, right? Yeah, a bit of a Hail Mary, I think, out of Apple to try and just... <laughs> <laughs> try and try so and what, just... So, so, Epic Games would, are, trying to, are trying to get some of these other nine flipped around the other way. And so, is that right? And then Apple were just like, well, if we should wait <laughs> until this is settled completely before we do anything, is that kind of what's happening? Yeah, exactly right. So, there's there's right. a number of other ones. I mean, as I mentioned, one of them was that um, Epic Games wanted to be, be able to actually add another payment option in the app. Um, oh, that was okay. denied. Um, Fortnite want, or Epic Games wanted to be able to create a Fortnite um, app store. They wanted to be able to have their own app store. So, not just the Apple oh. app store. Um, that was also denied. Um, so, there's a, there's a lot of different things that um, Epic Games was trying to challenge and is continuing to challenge, trying to say that Apple has a monopoly in these certain areas. Um, and therefore, you know, th these restrictions shouldn't exist. 
Um, but yeah, big change coming through. I mean, the news isn't really around the change. The change was is already, you know, uh, scheduled to come through in December. Uh, and it's going to be big. Well, I guess we'll have to wait probably until, you know, halfway through next year, maybe even a little bit longer to see what the impact is on on Apple's, on that segment for Apple, um, whether people really will be, I think we were talking about this last time, whether people really will take um, the option to click a link and go to a website and then pay just to avoid or to pay a little bit less, or will people choose the convenience and just continue to pay through Apple in-app purchases? Yeah. I guess it, it kind of depends on the cost of, of what you're buying. I guess if it's like a $2 purchase to remove ads, you're likely going to continue to do that through um, in-app purchases. Whereas maybe if it's a, you know, a Spotify sale or a Netflix subscription or a Disney Plus subscription for $110 or something like that, then maybe- yeah, you want to save money. Maybe then you're, you're more likely to, to yeah. take the link and go that way, so- yeah, I'm just I'm just scared of when Apple come out with their smart home and then the key card when you you key card to get in you insert your credit card and it takes one third of your paycheck just to get into your house. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be rough. <laughs> oh, <laughs> lost your keys? <laughs> we can let you in. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> They just start taking a 30% cut on everything. Yeah. They're, they're big enough. They'll control the world one day. Yeah. No, like you- 30% you, um, tax on everything. You, you have everything kind of tagged. All, all your items in your house are kind of tagged and you have cameras everywhere. And when you lose an item, Apple kind of knows where it is, but you have to you have to go through a paywall <laughs> to find it. Cool. Yeah. Lost your phone. I know where it is. <laughs> yeah. In- yeah. Hold up your credit card to your, to your car door just to be able to enter. <laughs> Oh, we'll take a couple bucks for that. Thank you. Or, or just watch five ads and then we'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be the Facebook alternative yeah. or the YouTube alternative, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you sit there and watch 10 minutes of ads and then you can then you can drive your car petrol free yeah. or something like you that. you seen... The, what, I think it was the pilot of Black Mirror. Is it the pilot or maybe not the pilot? Maybe No, I don't think it's the pilot. It's one of the other episodes where it's just like this guy and he's in this, in this, like, uh, this box which is his room and he it's just the whole walls just come up with uh, they're all screens and they just come up with ads and it's like to skip this ad you must pay one dollar and something and it's just like really loud it's like you can't avoid it yeah i was like gosh is this what advertising's gonna turn into yeah i i vaguely remember that episode i don't think it's the pilot yeah. but i i just i no, do I remember that so. episode but yeah i feel like that's yeah i mean can definitely can definitely imagine a world where if if VR does take over considerably that it's just chocked full with ads. <laughs> you imagine they should be like, "Oh, you're listening to the Young Investors podcast. If you want to skip this ad, please swipe your card. That'll be one dollar fifty." Like, ah, no, don't do that to me. Did you see recently Gosh, that probably destroy. I'm sorry, Andrew, if that absolutely destroyed my <laughs> audio just then. <laughs> Did you see recently the guy who invented pop-up uh, internet ads was uh, apologizing? <laughs> oh, was he? Yeah. I thought you were going to say something like he was thrown in jail no, or something. No, no, no. He just came out and apologized because they're just so annoying. <laughs> and at the time, I think he probably thought, wow, this is so great. This is going to be yeah. fantastic for advertisers. And now it's just horrific. There's nothing Although worse. Although in his defense, yeah. if he didn't do it, someone else would have. I mean, that's that's true. But my God, there is nothing worse than going on and reading an article or something like that. And there's just like laggy pop-up ads. At least like, 
you know, at least if you go on Instagram or, or just like a social media website or YouTube or something like that, at least the ads are kind of, they're crisp, right? It doesn't take away from the experience too much. Like, do you know what I mean? Whereas sometimes you go yeah. on like a, a news website and there'll be like Oof. a pop-up like video ad that's just in the corner and like you can't They're click the, the X and it's you click you try and click the X and you go to the website like that experience is just so irritating whereas that is I don't find the worst yeah I don't find myself too irritated by a YouTube skippable ad you know what I mean like it's not I mean mm. it's not ideal like you're watching a show and you get interrupted but at least it's a crisp kind of easy yeah you know I don't know I get annoyed by unskippables they're annoying yeah back to back unskippables um, as well is back to back unskippable ads are pretty pretty rage inducing yeah they should <laughs> just always give you an option to skip because even yeah. if it was like you can skip after 15 seconds I feel like rather than no skip for 15 seconds I feel like you would just it, it kind of makes you feel a bit better that like there's a point yeah. it gives you something to do you can like look at the countdown and then be like okay I can I'm sure there's a science behind this. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure somebody's figured it out. Yeah, so, someone, Ad optimization. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. But anyway, yeah, that's interesting. Is that all we've got to talk about for Apple? That's all we've got. Where should we? Right. Where do you want to go from here? Um, I've got a quick one. There's mm. nothing too much to talk about because we've already kind of dived into this before. But mm. the Rivian IPO. Oh yeah. Um, I just wanted to circle back because remember how they were trying to price their IPO. Um, originally, they were trying to get the valuation of eighty billion and then back to fifty billion. Mm. Um, you remember that we were talking about that like last last month or two. Yeah. Um, it says here now that Rivian Automotive Inc. priced its highly anticipated IPO at seventy eight dollars per share, well above its raised expectation, valuing the electric vehicle maker more than seventy seven billion on a fully diluted basis, according to here's your favorite line, according to a person <laughs> familiar with the matter. <laughs> there it is again, man. We've hit so many of those Wait, in the last few shows. Why do they need? Why do they need that line for that? Isn't that just a fact? Like what the what the value of the business is based on its shares? Like why do you, what, yeah. why do they need to say like alleged? They're basically saying allegedly. <laughs> oh, yeah, was, they are saying it's it's it weird was, because this is I don't know. This was breaking news and it was a Wall Street Journal exclusive. So uh, I don't know if that maybe something is yet to be confirmed. Confirmed. <laughs> um, but but yeah, the way they wrote this article definitely seems like it's a set in stone thing. And CNBC yeah. are now reporting the same thing. So it's weird. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it says the company backed by Amazon.com was expected to raise about $12 billion in the offering by selling more shares than it originally planned. Mm. Um, the amount of shares to be sold was still moving around late Tuesday, a person familiar with the matter said, <laughs> so that number could change. So ah. it seems like maybe this isn't set in stone right. yet. Right. Rivian said on Friday that it aimed to sell shares at a price $72 to $74 a piece, up from its initial targeted range of 57 to $62. Oh, I see. Okay. So, may, have they not right. gone public yet? So, they're just, this is kind of still no, in the leading up to, to their IPO. Right. Okay. Still the lead up. Yeah. So, so, I guess they can change the number of shares that they offer or the price that they're aiming to, mm. to sell it at, which, um, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. So, I guess it's kind yeah. of, we're getting a little bit closer to what they're expecting to, to IPO at, what value. Um, yeah. So, yeah, wow. So they started at 80, they went down to 50, and now it looks like they're back up to 80 billion valuation. Wow. And to be <laughs> I don't know. It's current market conditions, they probably raise, they'll probably get an 80 billion valuation in the IPO. The shares will go up like 30% on the first day or something stupid. Yeah, so. probably. <laughs> That's just the way of things at the moment. That's the it? world of IPOs at the moment. <laughs> yeah. 80 billion. 
Wait, is, it, yeah. is this the company that made like 12 trucks or something? Or is that a different? Yeah. <laughs> Delivered 12 trucks in, in Q3. Yeah. God, I could make 12 <laughs> trucks. It. I swear. <laughs> yeah, give, give me a shot. Give me a go. No, like I, if somebody said, hey, bro, if you make 12 pickup trucks in the next three months, I'll give you an 80 billion valuation. I'll be like- I'm going to try as hard as I can to make those 12 trucks. <laughs> I will recruit every single person I know with any sort of automotive experience and I will make 12 trucks. <laughs> I will personally sign every truck. I will. Yeah, I'll do whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If I knew that I was going to get an 80 billion valuation, I would make 12 trucks in the next three months, regardless of what it took. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we'd get there. We'd get there for sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there, there you go. Rivian IPO. There you Hopefully go. we actually see it fairly soon. Yeah. Talking about speculative stocks, uh, I've got a little bit of hey. news around uh, AMC this week, um, which is a little bit of a non-story, but it kind of made me kind of circle back to AMC because it's always fun to just keep up to date with these stories and not, not just forget about them because the hype, you know, there's always a, a period of hype. And for AMC, this was in the middle of this year. Um, and then, you know, everyone just kind of forgets about it and the story just ends. Whereas it, I, I kind of want to keep up to date with these things over, you know, the next year or so, the next couple of years and just just see what happens. See see what happens to the end of these these stories because, there's been a lot of hype around AMC over this year. Yeah. Earlier in the year, so over the past five years, the stock has been terrible up until this year. It fell from $35 per share in 2015 was its peak um, since its IPO to $1.91 in late 2020, which is you know an incredible decline in a stock. Uh, it then surged to $63 in June this year. Um, there was a lot of institutional wow. investors shorting the stock, pushing it down, and uh, it attracted that wave of, uh, of Wall Street bets uh, investors oh, right. or, or um, speculators, gamblers, um, sorry, investors um, that- uh, that <laughs> Don't they call themselves like degenerative gamblers yeah, some, or something, something like, like that? that? Yeah, <laughs> so at least they know. <laughs> Degenerates, I don't know, something like that. That's, like, that's actually their words, like yeah. not mine. I can't remember. No, yeah, no, exactly. So, um, no, so a lot of them, you know, piled into the stock, caused it to short squeeze and surge up and get up to $63 per share. Um, and uh, the company was actually able to then raise capital by selling shares at a higher price and avoid bankruptcy. So, it really, <laughs> funnily enough, this uh, this kind of event that you would think should be isolated to, to just the stock market, it's just a trading event really between two types of traders. Um yeah, it ended up actually having a real impact on on the business. Um, they were able to sell shares and and get enough money. It's so funny, isn't it? It's just <laughs> yeah, it is kind of ridiculous, though, right? I mean, but you do kind of forget, I think, what the stock market is for because once the company sells shares, you know, most people when you're buying shares, you're not you're not actually giving money to the company. You're just trading shares between other yeah. people, right? It's kind of like a it's just a marketplace for people who are, mm. you know, essentially betting on the value of of shares. So, it's easy to kind of disconnect what the stock market is to the underlying business. But, um, you know, an event like this kind of shows you what the connection is, which is, you know, the stock market is an ongoing way that businesses can access capital. Um, and for businesses that are in desperate need of capital, an event like this is, um, 
is is great. It's uh, it's good for them. But absolutely, today the stock is at around forty dollars per share with a market cap of twenty billion dollars. So while the meme frenzy, of course, has kind of driven the stock over the past year, um, the next you know decade of performance will de- depend on the performance of the underlying business. So it kind of turns back now to okay, this is what the market is valuing the company at twenty billion dollars. What can the mm. business actually do from here? Um, it's all good and well what it's done over the past few months based on you know um, a trade that people were able to identify, but what's the business actually going to do? Um, and that kind of brings us to this week. Management is, uh, is talking about whether the business can get profitable by the end of the year because they're still not profitable coming out of uh, the pandemic. Right. Um, yep. Management said that if they can hit $2 billion in box office sales uh, in Q4, they will be profitable. They're going to Okay. That, that's kind of their their goal. And that would mean that they'd have to get to 75% of what it collected in Q4 of 2019. So, they don't have to get back right. to, you know, as, as good as they were performing prior to the pandemic, but 75% of the way there and they will be, they will be just profitable. Um, so, that's kind of what's going on with the business at the moment. There's kind of a, a, a debate about whether that's achievable. I think they did in the first qu- the first month of that quarter, they did about $700 million. Um, So, they would have to do about $1.3 billion for the remaining uh, two months. So, they would have to match right. October. Um, but apparently, it looks quite difficult. Q4 of 2019, which they have to kind of push up into and and kind of get close to had some big title releases. They had the Joker coming out, Frozen 2, Jumanji. It was a Star Wars movie that came out. So, um, you know, there's a lot of debate about whether they'll even get to that point and get to be profitable by Q4, which is something they desperately need because, again, they're going to continue to, you know, run out of money, of course, if they they can't get profitable. Um, That's a good point, actually. Now that you mention that, so much of their success- actually comes down to um, the studios releasing their movies. Mm. And I still think there's a hesitation. I think we're starting to see it come back now. There's uh, probably the what the biggest biggest release recently has been the new James Bond movie. Yeah, um, probably. But I, so hopefully that's kind of a trigger that we'll start to see the big, big name uh, movies coming out again in the cinemas. But um, yeah, that that's really yeah. I didn't even think about that. They could be doing all the right things, AMC, and people can be allowed to be back at the theater. But if if uh, studios still aren't putting their titles out there yet, then they could they could suffer because of it. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I mean, studios have this ever growing problem of of where do they allocate you know capital for for projects so they allocate more towards mm. television series for their growing streaming platforms that they need to put a lot of money into at the moment to get you know a strong competitive position um you know or do they balance it or they just continue to spend even more every single year on uh, at the box office um yeah it's 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 difficult but i mean this kind of a, i mean it's a bit of a non story really i think just you know management saying we can get profitable we'll, we'll just get there um yeah. but you know, it, Show it, it reminded me to kind of reflect on on AMC and just have a look and just see. Okay, well, well, how's the how's the stock looking now? Um, and you know, the stock hasn't, to its credit, hasn't collapsed after the uh, the big short squeeze. I think it got up to sixty three. It's now at forty, so it came back a little bit, but it's well above the two dollars that it was at at the end of last year. Uh, <laughs> what twenty times higher? So. Um, you know, the question is, is that justified? As I said, can the business, you know, perform to 
to reflect that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I looked back over the past 10 years and, you know, they're unprofitable five out of the last 10 years. Their most recent right. year of profitability was 2018. They did 110 million in profit. So I just took that and just said, okay, well, what if they get back to 2018, right? Um, yeah. The current stock price is 180, 180 times earnings, which is, uh, and there's, you know, more shares outstanding now than there was back then. So it's probably even a little right. bit higher than that on a per share basis. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I look at that and I just think, wow, I mean, I wouldn't pay 180 times earnings for a company growing at 40% per year. Um, mm. But you have this company and um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't see it growing substantially in the future. Yeah. You can just tell that the people that are in it right now are not, they don't care about the business. They're just playing the short squeeze game. That's all they're doing. Yeah. And I mean, if that is the case, which seems like that's what it has to be, right? If that is mm. the case, um, then where's the where's the breaking point, right? Because there has to be yeah. a point at which the, the stock price, or you would think that there has to be a point at which the stock price has to reflect what the business is actually producing or what it's capable yeah. of producing, let's say, over the next decade or uh, until it um, you know, no longer exists. Um, so yeah, as I said, I want to keep watching this and keep up to date with it every now and then and, and see, you know, if that breaking point comes over the next couple of years or whether the stock just stays 200 times earnings for, for the next 10 years, who knows? <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. It's an interesting one. Yeah, we'll, Very interesting. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. I just, I, the thing that makes me laugh about these stories, like with uh, GME and AMC, is the fact that the, the squeeze happened and then, they, and then they raise capital. That's just the funniest thing in my mind. Yeah, it's like, well, we may as well, <laughs> <laughs> while the share price is high. Yeah, it's crazy that they yeah. can do that. And um, it is pretty. Yeah, I mean, fun. Hertz wasn't allowed to do that, right? Hertz was too close to bankruptcy, I think, <laughs> yeah. where they. Uh, yeah. The, the surge in the stock price was just not, that didn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, it is, it's kind of crazy, but it's not surprising and, you know, good on them for taking advantage of it. Um, yeah. I, There's a lot of companies that have done, I mean, even Tesla, Tesla stock price 10 X itself. And then they're like, uh, we're just going to raise <laughs> like, what are you raising for? I think that they said, uh, for, uh, balance sheet <laughs> strengthening, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is pretty much a sure sign that they're just raising because the stock price is high. Yeah. And I think was it was a Michael Borry who was saying that Tesla should just issue like three times the amount of shares or double the amount of shares that they yeah. had. They, they should just take full advantage and just get a bunch of cash and go crazy on investment yeah. capital. They could spend, <laughs> I don't know. That would have been so interesting. It would be. I mean, yeah. it would have been an absolutely crazy crazy move because you can argue it both ways but you could argue that if they if they took on if they you know raised 25% more shares sold them then they would obviously the share price for business versus business performance is extremely overvalued so they would just have all of this cash and there's such a hunger for those Tesla shares so it's just like man they could put themselves in this ridiculous position where they could absolutely like smack all the other auto manufacturers around they could put a gigafactory wherever the hell they wanted on it in every country on earth and <laughs> just be like we are the kings <laughs> yeah they just they issue a bunch of shares raise a couple hundred billion dollars in cash <laughs> mm. I don't know if that would, there would even be the liquidity for that but they do that and then they set aside, you know, 30 billion or whatever so that they will never go bankrupt. Um, so that doesn't matter if the stock price collapses after that. The stock price will probably collapse because they 
you know, they've, they've diluted the shareholders, but then they yeah, can invest significantly in the future of the business way more than any other business could. And you would think that be crazy. you would think that that would be the best long-term strategy, but I don't know. Honestly, it'd just be an interesting case study if they did that. I would just be so interested to watch it play out. I'd probably be a bit annoyed because I'd, I don't know if they could spend that amount of money that effectively, but uh, who knows? Yeah, I anyway. guess that's the other point as well, right? It's like it's one thing to have the money, but then the ability to to spend it effectively. Um, yeah. Whereas if I guess if it comes in slowly over time, you know, year after year as earnings compounds, then you can yeah. slowly ramp up your team that is um, you know associated with with allocating that capital. Whereas if you, yeah. if you just suddenly got three hundred billion and you're like, right, we've got to build, we've got to build fifty. We got to build fifty new. Uh, right, let's go. New assembly <laughs> lines. Where, where do we? Where yeah, do we exactly. put them? Yeah, that's kind of what we get annoyed with. Big businesses, like really top successful cash flow businesses, now is that they're kind of just like, you know, they don't really know what to do with their money because they're they've kind of run out of great investment opportunities. So yeah. they're just doing like buybacks at crazy prices and stuff like that. And we're kind of like, well. It's not really the best use of your money, but I don't know. If you really think you've got nothing better to spend it on, then I don't know. <laughs> it's the best they've got so, in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, should we do a few uh, Q&A questions? Yes. Yeah, we should. Have you got some lined up for us? Yeah. Um, how about I'll ask uh, this one here. <laughs> um, let's see. All right. Oh, hang on. I'll ask you. I'll ask you this one. Okay. Uh, not sure when you record the shows and if this will make it to the next one. Um, but I have a question. Well, it's made it to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure when this was, when this question was left. Um, what do you consider to be uh, our main advantages by being long-term focused individual retail investors? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think there's a number of advantages I think you have as being, let's just say, an individual retail investor, especially with a long-term mindset. But um, I mean, one main thing is that you don't have uh, you don't have clients that are constantly on your back about you know the performance of your fund versus all of the other comparable funds. It's a big reason why most fund managers kind of just follow the crowd and just move with everyone else because it's an industry of professionals, and you know, like you know, a lot of other industries, you don't want to be uh, caught as being the professional that has different advice from the crowd. Um, because if that advice turns out to, or, or that action turns out to be, you know, worse than the crowd, um, then, you know, you, you can be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. So, you end up getting uh, fund managers that make decisions, you know, with that in mind. Um, and that often means that they're making short-term decisions um, based on things that really don't affect you as a, as a long-term investor. So, um, as an individual retail investor, you can use those opportunities to, to invest in great businesses when there's some kind of short-term problem going on that the fund managers have to get out of the stock because every other fund manager is and that's driving the stock down. But you as an individual, you can just hop in when it's a little bit cheaper and you can just wait. Um, you can wait for, you know, the big institutional money to flood back in when things get positive again. So, um, I think that's kind of one, I guess. Did you did you have anything yeah. to add on that? Yeah, I was just going to focus on, yeah, that corporate structure. I mean, all these funds are just like, they're businesses, right? They, they got to make their money. And as an asset manager at one of those funds, you know, you've got your boss uh, who's, who's watching over your performance and then the, the fund's got all their investors. And, you know, you could be, your fund could even be like, yeah, we're a long-term fund. We're investing for the next 20 years. So, hope you're okay with that. And then, 
you know, all of a sudden we have a massive market crash and, you know, you go against the grain and, you know, you're making different moves to the other fund managers that you you know are going to be great moves in the next 10 years, but, you know, they might not play out for another 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, your, your boss might be like, yeah, that's a great move. We're going to, you know, we're a long-term fund. But if all your investors are like, hey, what the hell? We're suffering losses. We, we, we just want our money now. Why aren't you making money now? Um, and they start withdrawing their money, then all of a sudden the boss is like, oh my gosh, we've got to change our strategy, you know? Yeah. So, I think- Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just a problem with the system. It's a problem with the system. Whereas, yeah, like what you say, there's no pressure on us. We can do whatever we want, you know? And we're also nimble. We're very, very nimble um, because we don't have millions or billions of dollars yeah. that we're shifting in and out of positions. We can just get in and out whenever we want. Like there is no way we're going to sell. We're not going to cause enough volume to disrupt the share price. So, we can do whatever we want whenever we want pretty much. Yeah. One other thing I just remembered I just wanted to mention was that, um, you know, funds have a significant conflict of interest in that they want to have as much assets under management as possible because that means that they're making the most fees. Um, so, the result of that is that they always want to, and this is most funds, always want to accept more client money. Um, but the truth mm. is, there's not always investment opportunities. And this is, you know, something that Nick Sleep, who was a very successful investor, 20% over 12 or 13 years, um, he figured out a way around this was that he didn't really care about maximizing his fees. What he did instead was he would just close the fund off, not accept new money when there was no opportunities. And then on the rare occurrence when there was an opportunity, maybe every year or every couple of years, he would open the fund and say, hey, we've got an opportunity. Give us, you know, we're taking more money. If you if you if you're an existing client and you want more, you want to invest more, you can. If you're a new client, you can invest. And they would take money, they would invest it, and when they'd filled out the position, they couldn't invest any more in that, or it'd be too big of a percentage of the portfolio. They would just close the fund again. <laughs> and that's actually the only way that a fund could operate and be a value investor, I think, without you know limiting their percentage returns. Because uh, yeah, that's just another another thing to to keep in mind is. Funds are always investing a growing pile of money and that means that they usually just stick it into, you know, 200 different companies all the time, regardless of their prices. So, mm. all right, I'll, um, I'll ask one of these to you. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll ask this one. Um, in Phil Towns rule number one, Phil says that there are two reasons to sell. Uh, is when uh, the two reasons to sell is when a business is priced above uh, its sticker price. This contradicts what I've been hearing, which is to hold for years. I'm curious uh, which approach you take. Love the show. Yeah, I think uh, this is, uh, it comes down to what, I don't know. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this, to be honest. I mean, there are some people that quite rightly so, see a stock go above its fair value. And if they hold that stock, they'll say, you know what? It's above its fair value. If, uh, you know, law of averages or whatever will say that, you know, if it's above its intrinsic value, if it's above its fair price, it's more likely to come down than go up. And they'll say, you know what? I've made a profit. I bought it below intrinsic value and now it's above. So, I'm going to take that profit. I'm going to sell. And, that's a fair way to go about it um, because, hey, there's you've, you're a great investor if you make a profit. I mean, sure, the stock price might go up after you sell it, but you've still made a great investment. You bought it below intrinsic value, you sold it above intrinsic value. So, that, that's you know perfectly legitimate. Um, the other way to look at it, and this is what, I he- what I've heard a lot of, like 
all the time when I listen to interviews, lectures, read books by, you know, the world's best investors, one of the definite recurring themes is that they 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 cut the flowers, you know, they mm. cut the flowers before, you know, they should be, they cut the flowers and water the weeds. Yeah. They should just be, you know, and they, they sell too quickly. Where, whereas, you know, they say if they had their time again, they would let their profits run. You might have heard that before. If you got a profit, let your profits run. So there's two, there's two kind of ways to think about that. I mean, I used to be of the opinion that, you know, as soon as it goes overvalued, um, I would sell. And I did that a couple of times and I made some good investments because, uh, you know, it's a good investment. You made a profit. But there was also a few where I sold and it just kept going up and up and up and you end up feeling really bad because you just think of what could have been, you know, hindsight. Um, so now I'm more in the camp of uh, letting profits run. Mm, yeah. But that's just me. I, th- I don't think there's a wrong answer. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think especially what you said about um, you don't want to cut, you know, the flowers and, and cut your returns short if you have a really good business. If you're doing value investing right, and let's say you're using Phil Towns method, right, then you should be coming up with a pretty conservative, a pretty safe, a pretty low ball value of what a great business is worth and your sticker price will be based on that. So, I always think, you know, don't be surprised if a great business exceeds your expectations, right? When we're buying a business, you want to be very conservative on what you think the business can do in the future so that your price, the price that you're paying is, is you know, very, very reasonable and you can be very confident in it. But if the business thing quickly exceeds that value, um, then you, I, I think, you, you know, you shouldn't be surprised by that. But with that said, I think... I don't know. The way that I think about it is I probably wouldn't in most cases sell a great business just to hold cash because even if its stock price is expensive, it may still offer, as I said, it might exceed your expectations or even under your models, it might still return some percentage returns, which will be better than cash. But if there is a way better opportunity, so if I have one stock that's gone up a ton, um, but I have another one that I think is is really cheap and offers a much better return and I don't have cash around to invest in that business, then in that circumstance only, I think I would probably move money out of one and into another. But for the most part, you want to be stockpiling ownership in great companies. And and um, yeah, I mean, every now and then, I mean, if you have a, I think... I think like Walmart did, you know, 10 years after it, it listed, it did 50 times its, its, its money. So, you know, if you, if you hit on one of those and not every business you invest in will be a Walmart or an Amazon or a Costco, but if you just hit one of those and you let it run, then um, whatever else mm. you did in your portfolio doesn't matter. So you, (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think, I I think Amazon, I think Monish was talking recently on one of his Q and A's that um, Mm. he, he sold Amazon after it went up like 20% or something. And yeah, he he bought it at 10, sold it at 14. Yeah. So yeah. So 40%, I guess. Um, And then after that, it went 330 X to today. So, um, you know, I'm sure that's probably an example of, you know, Amazon stock was looked cheap at, you know, after the dot-com crash, it would have very, very quickly uh, reached its full value and started to look expensive. And we know Amazon, it's been a high multiple to earnings for an extremely long period of time. Um, But that's a business where you could have got it cheap on a valuation basis and then it just exceeded expectations wildly. And if you held onto it, 
nothing that mattered, nothing else mattered in your portfolio. If everything else in your portfolio yeah. went to zero and Amazon was 5% of your portfolio, you still probably, Wouldn't you matter. still probably beat the market by three times or something. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably more than Probably that. more. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I think, I think you raise good points. All right. Um, I am going to ask you, uh, this one here. Hamish, mm. have you considered using your cash position to sell puts? Hmm. You do great analysis on your businesses and you know exactly what your buy range is. Um, you could make steady incremental gains by selling puts in businesses you love at prices you are willing to pay. You either get cash or you get shares at a price you want. This is interesting. This yeah. is the uh, this is uh, 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 an Town. idea that was first brought to my attention by Phil Town. Mm. This is what Phil Town does. Um, you can kind of gauge what his buy price is by um, by what he sells his puts at. Which I think is really interesting. I was kind of like, oh yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things here. One is that you know the stock's price has to be relatively close to your buy range for it for there to be put options that you can sell. So that's the first thing. Um, I don't believe there's many available on Australian businesses either, but on US businesses, you know, big ones, there's you know considerable volume for for selling put options, but it has right. to be relatively close, right? If the stock price for a business is a hundred and my buy range is, you know, 30 to 60, there's not going to be any put <laughs> options that I can buy. Um, the stock would probably have to be, you know, within $10 per share or something like that, you know, within a reasonable percentage um, for yeah. me to be able to sell them. That's the one thing. But the other thing as well is there is, you know, they're not risk-free, right? There's of course, great businesses, their stock prices can go down for, for short-term problems and that gives us an opportunity to buy them. But stock prices for businesses can also go down if something damaging happens to the business or something fundamentally changes. Right. And I think a really good example that you know um, happened to me personally recently um, was with what happened with ASOS, right? Uh, their business, the stock price had been going down for a long time for for reasons that I thought were short-term reasons. Um, but then the stock price collapsed, I think, 10% strictly because the CEO stepped down. Um, and that's a fundamental change to the business. Um, and, you know, would I have been happy if I, if I was selling put options on that stock? Would I have been happy to buy the stock at a lower price? you know, after the CEO had, uh, had, had stepped down? Well, no, I wouldn't have. I, I probably, you know, well, as, as I'm doing right now, I haven't invested more in the company. So there are circumstances where, you know, that strategy can end up costing you, um, particularly if a stock moves down a lot very quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, I haven't really looked into the, the strategy deeply myself, um, but uh, yeah, that, that's kind of my, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah. Yep. I uh, I agree. That is a risk, definitely. If something fundamental happened and <laughs> the stock price tanked because of it, and then you're like, "Well, I'm now the proud owners of shares I thought I wanted, <laughs> but I no longer want them. <laughs> I don't really want them anymore." Yeah. Um, and you could be locking in an but- immediate loss because you might have a strike price that's, let's say, the strike price, the current stock price is 35. Your strike price is 30. That's what you will be forced to buy it at. The stock might fall to 20. So that means you've bought stock at 30. Yeah. It's currently 20, and you don't want to hold it because it's it's not a great business anymore so what do you do you have to lock in that whatever that is a 30 percent loss then um or you just hold on to it and pray that it goes back up but then you're just speculating so there are circumstances it's not risk-free i think there's just the clear with everything in investing there's nothing that's risk-free um such as just be here's an interesting uh interesting idea though Mm. 
It is. Um, and I'm not surprised that, yeah, it, it gets utilized quite a bit by, uh, by big investors because, yeah, they can essentially generate income off of, like, if they don't get to buy um, through their through selling their puts, they just uh, get to generate income from the stock price being high. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, which is a very interesting concept, but uh, I think that'll just about do us for today. I think we'll wrap it up there. Yes. Um, thank you very much, guys, for listening. We hope that we weren't too boring. It is now <laughs> 5.45 p.m. and uh, <laughs> the sun's going down and a couple of yawns are creeping in. But uh, no, we, we hope you still enjoyed uh, this, this episode. We'll be back on our regular time slot for recording. So if we were a little bit down today, that should not happen again <laughs> next week. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to get out of here. Thank you guys very much for listening and tuning in as always. Thanks, Hamish, for joining me as always. Thanks, Thanks to ShareSite for sponsoring this episode. And we'll see you guys next week. See you guys.